coming to you live from Canada. Here comes your game-changing, life-transforming turning point moment. Ahem. Yes, this is the sign you've been looking for. You're listening to Engage City Church. Powered by hope, not hype. Online at engagechurch.ca. Well, welcome to church today. Thank you, Johnny. International man of mystery. I don't know how I'm going to put a Bible on here. Let's, uh, let's figure out the map. Ah. That coffee may end up all over everywhere, but Perks gets a prime placement. Uh, our good friends at Perks right there. Uh, welcome to church today. We are continuing um, our series called... Friends, it's on the screen, and it's, it's, it's behind us, and, and uh, before I jump into the key scripture today, uh, so the funny thing about the idea of friends uh, is that the interesting thing about this TV show, you either love it or you hate it, and it's iconic for a number of reasons. The funny thing about the TV show Friends is that at the time, um, it was pushing the limits of TV, and the amazing thing is now if you go back and watch it, you're like, oh, that's that's not so bad. That doesn't mean it's not so bad. It just, that's where we've moved, right? So it's, it's interesting the impact that it had, but what stood out about this and what made it popular, I, I literally started like doing research on the TV show because the, the idea came in my head. And one of the things that people connected with was this idea of 20-somethings all from different places, all from different walks of life, all living in a city together, and that that group of friends became their de facto family. There was something about that, these people coming together saying, oh man, these are a group of friends and now we got to be there for one another and this is my family. In a lot of ways, what those, that, what, that one part of what they represented is what we are as a church. These group of people coming together from all these different backgrounds, all these different places with one thing in common, Jesus Christ. Sometimes it's the only thing we have in common, and yet we come together, and we come together as a family, as, as, as this group, and says, I'll be there for you. I'll be there in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the rain, in the midst of all that stuff. I'm going to be there for you because, why? Because Jesus called us into the family of God, and you're my brother, and you're my sister, and that's what family does. This is what Psalm 133 says. If you're ready, say, I'm ready. No, oh wow, you're surprisingly ready for daylight saving. How wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters live together in harmony, for harmony is as precious as the anointing oil that was poured over Aaron's head that ran down his beard and onto his robe. Maybe we should have demonstrated this going down your beard and onto your robe. Harmony is as refreshing as the dew from Mount Hermon that falls on the mountains of Zion, and there the Lord has pronounced his blessing, even life everlasting. There is blessing in unity. How wonderful and pleasant it is when we can dwell together in harmony. Now, there's something amazing um, about harmony, and we hear it on Sundays when all these people come together, different voices come together in different parts and different pitches, and, and they sing the right notes at the right time, and that like wall of sound hits you, and you're like, ah, that's just good, you know? It's just, that just moves my soul. And uh, now, there's also something 
equally as powerful, and that's when one person is singing the wrong note. It's as equally as powerful because you go, wow, I hate everything about this. I'm not even sure that I like the people on the stage based on the notes that they're singing today because what it's doing to my soul is a complete equal and opposite reaction uh, to what I just experienced when they hit it right because harmony is amazing when all these voices blend together because what happens is all the voices, all the pitches, all the notes blend together into one sound and that is a powerful sound that goes out. This is what Jesus said. Your love for one another, in John 13, verse 35, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciple. Now, here's what's controversial about this. Don't you think it should read like signs, wonders, and miracles? That should be the proof that you're my disciple. Don't you think that? Wouldn't that seem to make more sense than like love? Shouldn't it read like your radical holiness and clean living will prove to the world that you are my disciple? Didn't say that. We could write it in, but then you're blaspheming. So the words that Jesus left is your love for one another will prove to the world that you were my disciples. Why is this significant? Because all of those other things that we would like to write into the scripture, that we would like to write into the Bible, that we think actually should have preference, here's the key, is that they all flow out of love. Signs, wonders, and miracles flow out of love, compassion, mercy, grace. Your clean living, your holiness, your righteousness, it's because of the relationship that you have with Jesus, the understanding of what he did on the cross, the love that you have for him, that all of those things flow out of. Now, we would rather just put in the thing that we like the most because love is tricky because this is not just love, but it's love for one another. You're like, well, I like some people at church. Some. Like, I guess I love them all, but I like a few. You're like, what do you mean that my love's going to be like, what's the line where I have to show my, like, between like and loving someone? Like, where's the line? Like, do I, like, can I just say, yeah, I love you, but I'm like, wow, I don't like Brendan often. <laughs> you know, like, but I love you. It's cool. It's cool because I love you. It's fine. You know, like, where is that line? See, relationships are the heartbeat of life. It makes the whole world go around. It is what all of life is made up of. And yet, it's the thing that we are all the worst at. You're like, whoa, 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 speak for yourself. But it's true, all across the board. Now, this rolls all the way back to Genesis 3 when God was uh, speaking to Adam and Eve right after they eat of the tree, ate of the good of tree, the tree of good of evil. Wow. Daylight savings, we'll just chuck that one up. And they eat of that, and then as a part of their, you know, consequence, God says in uh, verse 15, I believe, he says, and there will be, Strife or conflict between the man and the woman. Our relationship struggles roll all the way back to the beginning of time at sin. Because sin begins to degrade everything. It's the beginning of the decay. Our relation, so you could blame your relationship struggles on Adam or Eve. You could blame it on the fruit. You could blame it on the devil. 
Or we can say, hey, we're living in a broken world, in a broken society, and Jesus says that if you want to be a beacon of hope, a light of life, then they will know you by your love. Why? Because it's so extraordinary the way you care for somebody else is so beyond the norm of society because they're living in the broken world and you're a a picture, you're a remnant of the hope of Jesus where you're putting this thing back together by going over and above to take care of your brother and your sister. Even the Old Testament, if you roll it back to Leviticus, I mean, who doesn't love going into Leviticus to find some real juicy morsels in Leviticus? And for those of you who don't know, Leviticus has got a lot of crazy stuff in it. Uh, All those, like, protesters that you see at signs on various moral issues, they get their material out of Leviticus. So Leviticus chapter 19, verse 33, don't take advantage. This is for the nation of Israel, God's chosen people. He says, don't take advantage of the foreigners who live among you. Treat them like native-born Israelites and love them as you love yourself. Which sounds familiar because Jesus may or may not have mentioned that as being the second highest commandment, to love your neighbor as yourself in Matthew 22. Remember that you were once foreigners living in the land of Egypt. Why do you take care of those people? Why do you treat those people in that way? Because you were once one of them. You were once a foreigner. You were once, you can remember what it felt like to be on the outside looking in. You know, when I flew to Indonesia, uh, it's like 30 plus hours of, of travel. Don't fly to Asia on aeroplane points, just let you know. That's a lot of flying that's unnecessary. Um, and I realized, and I told Seb this the other day, I did not talk to a human being for 34 hours. I mean, I answered questions like the Japanese stewardess, flight cabin attendant in their language, held up a menu and I picked A or B. <laughs> but like, I didn't have meaningful conversation. I tried to talk to the one guy on my flight, he just put his earbuds in, <laughs> pulled his blanket up. I was like, well, I guess we're done now. Um, so it is entirely possible for you to go out you, you, through your entire life, even, even right now. You could go to work. You could come back home. You could have a family. You could be in a huge family. You can come to church. It is entirely possible for you to live in the midst of people and yet be entirely alone. And here's the thing. Each and every one of us knows what that feels like. Each and every one of us knows what it means to be foreigners in the land, to be someone who's on the outside looking in going, oh, I just wish I could be as cool as the guy with the big beard. I wish I could have as many friends as, you know, this person. I wish I could have this. I wish I could just be friends with somebody. I wish somebody would talk to me. I wish I wasn't alone in the midst of a crowd. See, we all know what that feels like. And so if we were to follow the letter of the law, if we were to follow what Jesus says, it's like, hey, you know what that feels like, so treat somebody like they're at home. Treat them like they're a part of the family. Throw open the doors. Welcome them in. Go above and beyond. Go over yourself. Extend yourself and say, come on in. We got you. They will know you by your love for one another. We don't get to pick the one another. That's the best part. We don't get to pick the one another. Who is that another? You know, this is the, similar to the question that, that Peter asked Jesus later, uh, or earlier in Matthew 18. He says, you know, so how many times do I need to forgive? Same question that we ask. So who is that another that I need to show love to? Do I just need to show love to, like, the people that sit in the front row because they're, like, the most holy and righteous people? That's true. They get an extra blessing for being up here. <laughs> 
an extra crown of righteousness in heaven. Uh, that's not true. But I wish it was because then more people would sit up here. Uh, do I get to choose who it is? No, 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 no. Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, who's my neighbor? Aren't we all neighbor? You know, I hear these words all the time. You know what I'm looking for? Real and authentic relationship. I just want something that's real. As opposed to a fake relationship. Okay. I want something that's authentic. As opposed to counterfeit. Like, what, what's the end? What's the means? Like, what do you actually mean by real and authentic? And so, uh, by the way, all your notes are available on, on the Version Bible app under events, because I'm going to move for, through a number of scriptures. And so, if you want it one place, uh, it is all on there. Uh, I want to look at the ideal, and I want to look at the real. Somebody says, the ideal. Okay, let's try that one more time. Say, the ideal. Perfect. 1 John 3, verse 11. 1 John 3, verse 11. This is the ideal. This is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. That's the ideal. This is, this is the message. This is now John, the beloved of Jesus. He's writing, and he says, listen, you've all heard this. You all know this. You all understand it. This is the ideal. This is the gold standard that we should love one another. And like, mm, yeah, that sounds really nice. I really like it when people love me. Yeah, but you got to love back. Anyways, this is the ideal. This is the message that you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Now, a few verses later, John gets into the real. Are you ready for the real? 1 John 3, 18. Notice the language in 1 John 3, verse 18. Dear children, acting like children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Ooh, smack down. The ideal, we should love one another. The real, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let's not be like, oh, yeah, no, I love, I love everybody. I love that guy. Like, I think we use love like a little, like a little much, you know? It's like, you know what I love? The 12 o'clock service. I could sleep in. I don't ever get to sleep in, so I don't know why I just said that, but you know what I love? Coffee. Love it. You know what I love? My wife. <laughs> but I, you know what I really love? Coffee. It's like, how, wait, which one do you like more? Depends on the moment. That's not true. It's just we use this term and we use this equivalency to describe things. And that's what John's getting at First in 1 John. He's trying to break through all the noise of our language. He says, you want to get to something that's real and authentic? You want to talk about something that's open, that's honest? Don't just say you love one another. How about you let your actions show it? You know, like put a smile on your face and be like, hey. You know, it's like, what if, what this is the most radical idea you're going to hear all year. What if we actually acted like we believed? Or is the truth that we are acting like we believe? 
Anyways, let's read some Bible verses. Galatians 5. This is the, this is the real. Since we are living the Spirit, uh, by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Verse 26. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. This is Paul uh, speaking to the church in Galatia. Now, here's what I've done. I've pulled out of this middle section of Paul's letters, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, uh, or as I like to remember it in Bible memory, giants eat peas and carrots. It works. It works. You'll never forget now. I've pulled out some highlight scriptures from each of the points, and the truth is we're just like scratching the surface where Paul is literally beginning to deal with these relationship issues, the real. Because the honest truth is that if we don't do something consciously about it to increase our love, to let our actions show what we believe, to reciprocate what we love to receive, we will just go through our life thinking that we've done enough, but knowing that we haven't. And why leave any regret on the table? Here's here's the other thing. When you create, I mean, the question is really what makes a house a home, right? What makes a house a home? What makes this, this is our house, so what makes this house our home? It's not the furniture. I mean, the chairs help. They're comfortable. There's coffee things in the back. But it's not the furniture. It's not the vibe. It's not even the worship team. It's not even the speaker. What makes this house a home is the love that flows from each and every one of us. That love is a supernatural kind of love that's an overflowing kind of love that is a love that only comes from Jesus Christ. But here's... Here's where we are. We love to get filled up with the love of God. Love it. Like, okay, here's here's behind the scene preacher talk. The biggest altar calls I've ever done in my life are always the love of God. Like when I say, hey, God wants to pour out his love, I honestly get the biggest response wherever I go, especially at youth uh, events. Because there's, especially for youth, there's that like, there's that wrestling with their self-worth and finding their identity. And they just want to know and they want to experience the love of God. But that's the same is true in adults. We're just teenagers in adult bodies. Everyone wants the love of God. We want it. We love it. We need it. Like we want more. You can't give us enough. It's like, just tell me again how much Jesus loves me. You know, we can't get enough. But then we become spiritual hoarders. Because we're like, pour it in, 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 pour it in. Hey, we should go out for lunch with that person. No, I'm good. Pour it in, pour it in, pour it in, pour it in, pour it in. Man, uh, man, I think that person's like sitting by themselves. Wow, that sucks. Pour it in, pour it in. Come on, Jesus, more. I need, I need more of you for me. But they're going to know us by our love for one another. So Jesus, pour it in so it can pour out of you. So since we are living, Genesis, let's head back to the Bible, Galatians 5. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. The reason Paul writes a phrase like this, let us let the, uh, let the Spirit lead us in every part of our lives, is because clearly they were not letting the Spirit lead them in every part of their lives. And he says, let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another, because in the church at Galatia, 
They were conceited, full of pride, jealous of one another, and they would provoke one another all the time. So the Apostle Paul says, listen, everyone's supposed to know you by your love, but if you're going to say that you're following the Holy Spirit, let him into all of your lives. How about you let the Holy Spirit deal with your pride? How about you show your love by not, like, egging each other on, provoking one another? What does provoking one another mean? Right? What does that mean, provoking one another? Same language the Apostle uh, Paul uses for fathers, where it says fathers do not provoke your sons. Provoking one another is very simply a stepping over the line in in sarcasm. where you're friendly back and forth. That is fun for some. This goes a little bit too far. And you start responding, not out of love or affection, but by exposing the faults in your friend or your neighbor. And then you go, oh, I was just joking. Provoking one another is doing something specifically to get a reaction out of somebody else, to elicit a response based on something that you have and that they do not have. Like, poof, you see this plaid shirt? Not everyone can have one of these. That's not true. Everyone does. But I'm going to purposely walk by Seb because I know that he loves plaid shirts. So when I get this plaid shirt and he wants all of them, I'm going to walk by me like, well, bought this one. You can't get this one. And I'm going to elicit something, provoke him, that's going to drive a response inside of him that is actually going to lead him toward a negative response. That's provoking him. See how much better I am than you are. Provoking one another. There's all kinds of, we could break down all these things. But the Apostle Paul says, listen, don't do it. Let the Holy Spirit guide every part of your lives. All what we're trying to extract out of this today is there is problems in Galatia. Relational problems. Turn to your neighbor and say, relational problems. Book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4. Now, this, this is strong language. I, like, we need to capture this. Listen to this language in Ephesians 4, verse 30. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Now, what we have to understand is that when Paul makes a statement that says, do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. And then he goes on to explain that he says all the next things are bringing sorrow to God by the way we live. So he says this to the church in Ephesus. Remember that he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. So here's the list. This is the stuff that causes God's sorrow, the spirit of God's sorrow. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger. Harsh words and slander, as well, of, as well as all types of evil behavior. That's a broad category. Instead, so if those are the things that bring sorrow to the Spirit of God, the instead would bring joy or pleasure to the Spirit of God. I want to be someone who brings pleasure. Be kind to each other tender-hearted, forgiving one another, which is actually a key to removing bitterness, just as God through Christ 
has forgiven you. So, when we're talking about our spirituality, sometimes when we think about making the Holy Spirit happy or bringing sorrow to the Spirit of God, we think that a lot of those things are like deep spiritual warfare type of things, right? We're like, man, well, you know, the only way we can really like, like really bring pleasure to the Holy Spirit is when like we're more moving in the things of God and we're just open and His presence is here, He's alive, and we're just doing all those things. Yeah, but you know where all that starts? Being tenderhearted, being kind to one another. The most spiritual act <laughs> that we could do is being kind and tenderhearted. It brings pleasure. All that to say, there was problems, relational problems in Ephesus. Why? Because clearly there was a lot of bitterness, <laughs> a lot of rage, a lot of harsh words, and a lot of slander. Does anyone still write letters? Anyone write letters? Anyone? You swap? Amazing. People write. Emails do not count, all right? Emails do not count. I used to write letters with my grandma. I used to live in D.C. when I was a kid. I used to write letters back and forth. It was, you know. Awesome. You know, world's changed. Now we use technology, text messages, all those kinds of things. I remember uh, when I was in uh, grade 10, we had an exchange student. She came back from an exchange in Finland, and she said, guys, like, what you need to know is that everybody communicates by typing on their phones. And we're like, there's no way that's even true. That's not even possible. She's like, it's called SMS. And people like, like, you're going to go meet your friends. They just send you a message and say, come meet me at this time. I'm like, no, that doesn't work. They gotta call, you got to call somebody. Like, how does anyone know where to go? They're like, no, you just, like, send messages. I said, that's not even true. One year later, we're all sending each other text messages. It's like, wow, she's from the future. Here's, here's the amazing part. What, what, these, what these things are, Galatians, Ephesians, uh, Philippians, Colossians, these are letters that the Apostle Paul was sending to these churches to address real issues. Now, we get to look at them, learn from them, extract from them. Why? Because the issues in the church are the same today as they were thousands of years ago. We haven't mastered it yet. But here's what's amazing. The Apostle Paul was sending letters. Now, What's really cool about this is that when they sent these letters, it wasn't a standard practice for somebody to send letters to a whole large group of people and, and to do like a lot of like teaching via like letter. If we were trying to make a direct equivalent, what the Apostle Paul was doing was essentially preaching via video from wherever he was to the other churches. He was using the most uh, leading-edge technology of his time to convey what God wanted for each and every one of those churches. He used the most incredible technology available to him to get that word across. So when we're looking at these letters, we have to understand that these are impassioned pleas speaking to the real not the ideal, he's leading them to the ideal, but he's getting into the real issues of the day. And the issues that he felt passionate enough to use the most advanced piece of technology to communicate was being kind and being tenderhearted and forgiving one another. That carries a weight and a significance to it. Here's the problems in Colossians. Who's ready for the problems in Colossians? Just look out. Colossians 3, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves. I love this, how he like prefaces these things. He like, it's amazing. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves 
with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Then he gets into the real. Make allowance for each other's faults. <laughs> little nitpicky here in Colossae. little nitpicky. Make allowance for each other's faults. And forgive anyone who offends you. Lots of personal offense. Lots of, wow, I, did you hear what Bethany said to me? <sighs> Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. If you have a hard copy Bible, you should underline the word must. You can't do it on YouVersion. You can't do one. One word. It's a deficiency. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us together in perfect harmony, and let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Hmm. Clothe yourself with love. It's a conscious choice. You know, you roll out, well, for some of us it is, for some of it's a, it's a panic. You roll out of bed in the morning and you make a decision about what you're going to wear today. And you make that decision based on who you're going to meet, what your interactions are going to be, what the jobs are that you're going to accomplish, right? Like, if you've got nowhere to go, it's PJs all day, you know? Sweatpants, whatever. Maybe not. Everyone's got a different way of handling it. Ash is like, absolutely not. I wear jeans 24-7. I sleep in jeans. Like, I even go swimming in jeans. It's fine. <laughs> but, but you make a conscious decision. So every morning, in the same way that I get dressed, and I make a conscious decision about the appropriate way for me to dress, don't you think that there's a similarity here that I should make an appropriate decision of what I'm going to clothe myself with, and I'm going to decide that every single day and every moment, no matter who I'm meeting, no matter where I'm going, no matter what the task is at hand, that I'm going to clothe myself in love. It's a conscious choice. It's a decision. It's like, oh, no, I'm just going to pray to God, and he's going to let the love appear in my heart. Yeah, he's going to do that. But then you're going to make a conscious decision to take the love out of your heart and put it into the world. Because <laughs> there's been enough of the love in your heart. It's time to stop hearting and start sharing. So does anyone buy organic fruit? Anyone? Oh, we got a few, right? It's like you feel like it's a better decision, but most of the time you're like cost-benefit analysis. You're like, nope, <laughs> not spending $17 on an orange, all right? Like it's not worth it. But organic is also one of the, the descriptive words that gets used all the time when we're talking about relationships. Guys, you know what I'm looking for? I'm looking for some place that's real, it's authentic, and it's organic. Like real organic relationships, you know what I'm talking about? Like organic relationships. Everyone's like, Yes, but we don't actually know what you're saying. But yes, we think that sounds like a great idea. Like, we think that sounds wonderful. We think that real, authentic, and organic relationships sound amazing. Now, here's the thing about organic. The reason that organic costs more is because it takes more work. Organic costs more because they don't use the chemicals. And so they have to be smarter. They have to farm in better places, use more prime real estate, use better land. They have to have more people take care of it because they can't just spray stuff and it just like magically grows into the size of watermelon. 
Like, organic, they look smaller, and they have different colors, and they don't look visually perfect all the time, but they taste better. Why? Because there's no extra stuff added. It just takes hard work to get something that's great, and then they charge a fortune for something that's ugly and expensive, and you're like, wow, but it's real. And so we, there's whole grocery stores and chains built on this premise of, of hard work and something that costs more is worth it because it's real. Now, here's the thing about real, authentic, and organic relationship is that it costs more. It's a lot of hard work, but it's always worth it in the end. But it costs more. And it's a lot of hard work, but it's worth it in the end. It's complicated. It's messy because what gets us to organic is the real and the authentic. And the real and the authentic is not just calling others out on their faults, but calling ourselves out on our faults and saying, you know what? I'm going to get up today. I'm going to put away my bitterness and my rage, and I'm going to clothe myself in love. And I'm going to let those offenses bounce off of me because I know that that person that's curling at me really would stop if I could overwhelm them with the love of Jesus. Then maybe the reason that they're lashing out at me is because I'm maybe provoking them in my behavior. So I'm going to get up today and I'm going to clothe myself in love. Listen, that's hard work. That's expensive. That's pricey. And it is not fun. Because it starts at self-awareness. It starts at the part, well, 75% of me is great. 25% of me is terrible. And generally, the ratios are reversed. I'm just being real generous. <laughs> like, 7% of me is amazing. I'm running at a severe deficit. But I'm going to wake up today. I'm going to clothe myself in love. And I'm going to walk out that door. And I'm going to be real, authentic, organic. This is Philippians 2. Are you ready for the problems in Philippi? It's like they're just, everyone's a mess. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Fossil, <laughs> so dramatic. He is in prison at this time, <laughs> in shackles. Is there any comfort from his love? Is there any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy, because here's the problem, by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, which means they're disagreeing a lot. Just make the Apostle Paul happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and one purpose. It's harmony is as precious as the anointing oil that was poured over Aaron's head that ran down his beard and onto the border of his robe. Harmony is refreshing. Unity is refreshing. Walking with one mind and with one sound and, and with a love for one another, it's refreshing. That's what makes this house a home, is the refreshment of the overflow of love. But it's hard work. It's cost more. It's complicated. So here's the thing. Who likes orange juice? Does anyone like orange juice? 
What do you pay for a bottle of um, Tropicana? Who buys tro who First of all, who buys name brand and who buys no name? Name brands? You're paying $95 for a bottle of <laughs> no name? $4.95, okay? Uh, so what I've done here is I went to Superstore and I bought oranges. Now I checked the Loblaws website this morning. Each one of these navel oranges is $1.34. Okay, this is my juicer. Who likes the juice? Anyone like the juice? Do you have any juicers in the house? Who's a juicer? Ah, oh, Katie, wonderful. This is not going to work. This is a lot of work. This is a lot of effort. How am I going to get this thing? It's not going to go down. So if you want to go get me a knife. Here's the thing. Fresh juice is amazing. And it's, I'm going to drink this whole thing of orange juice right in front of you. And I'm going to be refreshed. Maybe I'll share, but that's gross. So probably not. But so if we do the quick math, I bought five of these at $1.34 each. That's going to fill this cup. One cup. One cup. Seb, you can be my assistant here. If you could cut these up and then start juicing for me, okay? Just juice it up. And you've never juiced. So the process is difficult. You turn it on and put it in the top. Um, then the juice comes out. Fresh juice is amazing, but it's expensive. And what you begin to understand is the actual cost of what you're consuming. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, I spilled my coffee while I'm at it. I love coffee. Mm -mm. We've washed them, but we're not peeling the oranges. That's one orange. That's half an orange. Give me another one, Seb. Throw it in. Let's speed it up. Speed it up. That's a whole orange. Speed it up. No, you got to put the lid on. We're going to have to catastrophe. Oh, no. Uh-oh. The table. The table cannot handle it. Oh, Seb. One at a time. That's the lesson. Whoa. That's a whole orange. Whoa. It's explosive. This is really, I mean, this is riveting live messages. This is probably the best message I've ever preached. Okay, throw that one in one at a time. One, oh, two at a time. Let's do it. Yeah, ramp it up to two. Where are we at? How many oranges is that? This is two That's two oranges. What's the math on that? How much have we spent so far? Did you include tax? There's no tax on groceries. Carbon tax. Carbon tax. This electricity. <laughs> oh, yeah. You're, you're doing wonderful. That, that's some thick and juicy juice, right? Yeah. Wow. You want another one? Yeah, do another one. So that would take us up to three? Yeah. Oh, those are large navel oranges. Hence the name, large navel orange. Just throw it in. This is, gonna get, this is crazy. This is crazy. Oh! Oh! No, it's fine. What are you so worried about? You're a rookie juicer. Okay, throw, throw them in. Ah! That's good. Seb, are you going to get ready to chug this? Oh, my goodness. Oh, 
the nectar of heaven. I want it to run down your beard to your feet because it's refreshing like harmony. Oh, hold on. Oh, that's worse than a... Let's put that underneath as it drips, okay? Okay, pull that juice out because it might drip from your beard. Best message ever. Drink that. Chug it. Don't stop. Oh, is that good? Oh, is that humanly possible? How much is that? <laughs> Seth just chugged that orange juice. <laughs> and he got filled with the Holy Ghost at the exact same time. Okay, don't go anywhere. Hold on. How was that? This is just appropriate heights now. Um, how was that? It tasted like orange Julius. See, because it was rich, it was frothy. Yeah. That's why we leave the peels on. Now, it was good. So, was would you say that was literally the probably the best orange juice you ever had in your life? I mean, I would say for sure, yeah. And the best one ever made at church, hundred yeah, percent. The best one you've ever had here. Now, here's the amazing part about this. You <laughs> Listen, I should wear the headset and sell these things, right? You can see, do you see all the orange up here? You see all that? This whole bucket. Can you see, anyone see that? I know the lights are hard. That's the roughage. That's the roughage. There's even, look at, there's a peel in there. How'd that even get through? A whole peel. This is the reality of real, authentic, and organic relationships. Can you see it? Sorry, Matt Dog can't see it. Oh. Bethany's going to have to clean that after, so it's fun. We're going to be selling vacuum cleaners right after this. The roughage is the reality of real relationships. The most spiritual thing that we can do is we can clothe ourselves in love and we can be tenderhearted. By, by being tenderhearted, we're being open to love people. We're being open. And every time you're open, you're, you're actually being open, which means that there's a real good chance that something's going to hurt you. You know, there's this age-old phrase, and they tell you it in Bible college, and I learned it from my parents way before I heard it in Bible college, was that the more you love somebody, the more likely they are to hurt you. Right? If you're dealing with people and you're investing in someone, you're really trying to help them out, there's a really good chance that that's going to come and bite you. It's going to bite you hard, and it's going to hurt you hard. But that's just a hazard of living tenderhearted. That's a hazard of the job. What's real is that in every relationship, in every church, in every marriage, in every friendship, there is roughage for all of the good moments of juice. Now, there is a high price to this. What were we at? Four, Seb? Four oranges? What, what did that cost us for this cup? $4.50? So the cost of a no-name jug of four liters of orange juice is how much it cost us to make one cup that was 
great. For every time you get to sip the juice of real love and relationship and community, you have to deal with a bucket full of roughage. And that's the reality. The other side is that cup is always worth the bucket. You say, well, that math doesn't make sense. It costs so much. That's cost prohibitive. That bucket is so big in comparison to that cup that I don't know if I want that in my life. We've all had experiences where the roughage has overwhelmed the fruit. But the truth is, when we break it all down, when Jesus went to the cross for us, the roughage way outweighed the fruit on every natural level. While we were still enemies, Jesus died for us on the cross. So Jesus says, why don't you forgive others in the same way that I've forgiven you? Which means I counted the cost. I knew what I was going to do. I knew the sacrifice. And yet, I still deemed it worth it. 1 John 3.16 We know what real love is. Because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we, this is, now this is where it gets tough. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. Parallel language. This is tough. This is hard stuff. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to, not maybe we should consider, but we also ought to give up our lives wow over overwhelming so we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters we ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters when i get up in the morning and i clothe myself in love and i walk out of the house tender hearted and kind hearted and ready to exude the love of jesus christ what i'm doing is i'm moving myself from where i'm comfortable to the uncomfortable into the unknown and i'm going to make a conscious choice to give up a part of my life for that brother and for that sister knowing full well that there's so much roughage and so much junk to deal with that it's going to cost me something. It's, it might even be painful, but it's always worth it. And if it's not worth it for them, it's worth it because we know what real love is. And so we ought to give up our lives for our brothers and our sister. You've been listening to The Engaged Life, powered by Engaged City Church. If you like what you heard, check out engagechurch.ca.